This is New Hampshire's home for sports on ESPN New Hampshire Radio, WGAM, Manchester, WGHM, Nashua. Some great stuff there. That's Jimmy Fallon, Metallica, and the Roots jamming out, playing Enter Sandman with uh with toys with toy with toy <laughs> instruments. That's awesome. What is that? A kazoo that Jimmy Fallon has? Yeah, that's a kazoo. Yeah, yeah that's a kazoo. <laughs> and uh, since our next guest is a uh, a big time Metallica fan, Wait, I figured he'd appreciate that. There, John Serenades joining us from XNOGO.com. John, what'd you think of that? Um. You know, I see why people would be entertained by that. Um, it's pretty good from an entertainment standpoint, but as a diehard Metallica guy, <laughs> I didn't like that they did it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was pretty entertaining. I will give them that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think it's something you're going to really uh, get revved up to or uh, listen to, but it, it it was pretty funny. And it, it, it suits you, if you for our listeners. Check it out on YouTube. Uh, Google that on YouTube or whatever. and it's better to watch it as well because that's the fun part there, seeing them all bunched together with a bunch of instruments there. But uh, uh, they'll be bunched together in Denver. That is the New England Patriots as they head to the Mile High City uh, to a place that is uh, not only for the New England Patriots but also for Tom Brady, arguably the best quarterback ever, been a house of horrors, uh, John. And we had uh, we had Billy Jaffe on in, uh, earlier in the show and we were sort of – relating that to Tuka Rask in the Bell Center, and he recently overcame his demons up there. Um, you know, Brady was asked today on EEI, is it the altitude? What is it that he has to do with it? And, you know, he couldn't really pinpoint it. He just says, we just haven't come up big there for some reason or another. Um, but do you think there is anything specific that you've seen the Patriots really struggle with that maybe is, has been a patent, so to speak, when they go out to Denver? Well, I think, for one, they, they don't play well defensively out there, and maybe that is where the altitude factors into it. As the game goes on, uh, it starts to take its toll on them. And I think the other thing would be that Brady himself hasn't played well there. He seems depressed. He, he allows the crowd to get to him a little bit. I think they allow the crowd to get to them a little bit offensively. They don't, they don't seem to be in sync. They seem to be out of rhythm at times. So I, I do think there's something to be said about them struggling when they play there. And I do think it's a combination of things. The altitude, uh, the atmosphere in the crowd. 
Denver's a pretty good football team. A lot of the teams that he's faced there have been pretty good teams that have been Super Bowl contending type teams. So I think it's those three things. But, look, everybody has their bugaboo. And I think for the New England Patriots, and specifically Tom Brady, obviously playing there has been a bugaboo for them. They've struggled. They've had a hard time sustaining consistent offense. They haven't played well defensively. They've given up big plays there through the years. If they want to win there this weekend, they're going to have to sustain drives, and they're going to have to limit the amount of big plays they give up. How important is it in an atmosphere like that to come out and get the first touchdown and to really silence that crowd and set a tone? It's very important. It's very important no matter when you play on the road, no matter who the opponent is, no matter what the week is. Scoring first on the road is key. If you can score first, play with the lead, make them chase points and play from behind, it's huge. So it, from, from that standpoint, it's no different from them than any other road game. They have to go in and get that first score and carry the play. We talk about that in hockey all the time, carrying the play. Well, I think that applies to every sport. If you can carry the play, especially away from home, you put more pressure on them. Now they have to play from behind. They have to get out of their game plan a little bit. Now they're chasing points and trying to play catch-up. So getting that first score, and, and preferably it needs to be a touchdown, I think it's huge for them in this game because if they could put pressure on Trevor Simeon and that struggling Denver offense, I think that they could, they could potentially position themselves to win this football game. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. Everybody's been talking about hey, you know, it's not that bad. It's Trevor Simeon over there on the other side. And, uh, you know, so they should be able to beat him. But that, that's, not, that's not what worries me about Denver. That's not what, why they wouldn't be able to beat him. And, and if you look at the quarterbacks, we listed them earlier in the show, that have beaten the Patriots in Denver, it's not that great a list. So I, I think that's sort of irrelevant when people bring that up. It's like, oh, they, they're going to win because Trevor Simeon's starting for the Broncos. Yeah, well, you know what? Jake Plummer was once, too, when they lost to the Broncos there. Or or uh, Brian Greasy. Or, you know, uh, Brock Osweiler, who's stunk up the joint pretty much the whole season. Uh, he beat them in Denver. So I just think that's sort of irrelevant to the analysis of this game and why the, the Patriots should be able to win. I'm with you. It's you got to worry about that defense. They need to worry, like, how are they going to overcome that defense and the way that defense feeds off that crowd, the, the, the false starts, the illegal procedures, not being able to follow the silent count. Those are the things that I worry about when I head into Denver. Yeah, I agree. Look, Trevor Simeon has played well. He's played pretty well for them this year. So a lot of their struggles of late, you can't put it on him. A couple weeks ago, he was on with an injury, but generally speaking, he wasn't even supposed to be the guy going into the season. But for the most part, he's played pretty well. He hasn't been the problem. It's been their running game that's been non-existent in an offense that, that's about as balanced as any in the league. They want to run the football. D.J. Anderson's been out. They haven't been able to replace him, and they've been inconsistent up front. But I, I think you hit the nail on the head, man. It's going to come down to the Patriots offensively and what they do against that Denver defense. Can Solder and Cannon block Ware and Miller on a consistent basis, or are they going to have to keep guys in to help them? Can their receivers create separation against what is arguably the best secondary in football? Those are going to be questions that need to be answered early because you're not going to have Rob Gronkowski to work the middle of the field and generate matchups for you against their linebacker safeties and nickel corners. You're not going to have that. So they're going to have to be creative with what they do to negate their pass rush and how they use their pieces. I think the running backs are going to play a big role in this game, and I'm not even talking about running the football necessarily. I think Deion Lewis and James White 
mm-hmm. are going to be moved around in personnel groupings and formations to generate matchups because that's what they're going to need to do because you know that Tlaib and Harris can take away your receivers. It's how do you create matchups with the other skill guys you have. I hear you. And, uh, you know, Bill Belichick, who, whose press conferences are usually uh, as exciting as watching paint dry, uh, he threw a little <laughs> zinger today, you know, and I, I was a little surprised that he, he said the Denver Broncos are predictable on both sides of the ball. Very uncharacteristic, huh, of Bill to sort of give what it could be used as bulletin board material. What's your take on that? Uh, I don't think that that's what he, what he was implying, to be honest with you. I think it was actually a backhanded compliment, if you will. I think what he's saying is, look, they do what they do, and they're very good at what they do, and that is run the football and play good defense. That's that's what they hang their hat on, and I think that's what he's saying. He's saying that they're going to try to run the football, set up their play action and screen game on offense, and then on defense, they're going to get into that 3-4, they're going to let their outside linebackers loose, and they're going to cover down, and they're going to play the situation depending on what they do with their pressure. So okay. I think that's what he's talking about there. I don't think he's necessarily saying that they're simple, they're easy to prepare for, and we can beat them. I think what he's saying is, is that there's not much to this football team. They're really good, they're really talented, and, what, and they're sound in what they do. I think that's where he was going so, with that. So it's, so it's the media right now then really taking that and, and putting it into yeah, uh, something yeah. that's really not. Yeah, that's what it's I figured. complimentary coach speech, Jimmy. Yeah. We all do it. When you're watching a team on film, and I've been coaching for over 20 years, you know a good football team when you see yeah. one. It's not just the outside world telling you that they're good or bad. You see it on film. And the good football team, it's no secret to why they're good. They do what they do well, and they do it all the time. And I think that's what he's implying here. You know, it, uh, it's, well, we're on Denver here, and we're on that side there in the, in the coaching there. Gary Kubiak, to me, for the longest time, just seemed like one of these guys who, you know, it's just some guys that are better assistants than they are head coaches and and. You know, it's like night and day when they're in the assistant coaching position and then they get promoted to the head coaching position and all of a sudden they just, their, their team just stink. You know, and you, you're like, what happened there? This guy seems so, so... He always seemed like one of those guys to me and he, he's, he's proven me wrong over the last couple of years in Denver. What's been your take on the evolution of him as a head coach as opposed to an assistant? Well, I think he's gotten better as a play caller and managing a team while he's the primary play caller. I think that's all. But look, let's be honest. A lot of their success last year was Peyton Manning managing the game at the line of scrimmage, getting them in and out of stuff in their defense. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and I think that, and that's not to take anything away from Gary Kubiak because I do think he's been a pretty good coach throughout his career. I know that his teams haven't necessarily always gotten to the playoffs, or when he was in Houston, they didn't experience a lot of playoff success, but. He's done a pretty good job. They're in the mix every year to at least make the playoffs. I think where you've seen a little bit of a different Gary Kubiak here is is that he trusts his coaches more, Mm -hmm. and he trusts his players more. I think in Houston he was trying to do a little too much. And then when he hired Wade Phillips, he gave up a little bit there, but it was still about him and doing too much, and that's what ultimately led him to to basically having a stroke and and ending up up missing part of, of, of a season. I think he's come a long way from that point. I think now he realizes, you know what, I have to lean on my assistants more, trust them more, but I also have to realize that that old school formula, that recipe that makes that championship feel, running the football, playing good defense, that's what we're going to do, that's what we're going to be about. And I think that's what they've done in Denver. I think that they last year they were able to run the football, Manning was able to orchestrate that offense at the line of scrimmage, and they played championship-caliber defense. Let's stay on the coaching topic here and switch back over to the Patriots' sideline there. 
obviously, as we go into these final weeks of the season and, and teams that are out of the playoffs are, are either relieving their coaches or, or appear to be on the brink of letting go of their coaches, we're going to hear more McDaniels. We're going to hear more Patricia going to this team or this team's interested in him and this team's interested in him. How likely is it that one or both of those guys is gone next year or do they look at it and say, you know what, I'm in such a great situation here. Yes, it's awesome to advance my career, but on the flip side, you know, I've just cut it so great here. Do I really want to mess with a good thing? I think if it's the right opportunity for either one of them or both of them, they're gone. Hey, uh, even McDaniels? Not, they'll stay. But I think McDaniels is gone. That's, really? That's my prediction. I think he's gone. I think that there's going to be there's going to be a couple of intriguing openings out there, whether it be the Rams, whether it be Jacksonville, whether it be San Diego potentially, maybe Buffalo. I, I wouldn't see him taking Buffalo, but I think there's going to be enough openings out there that are going to intrigue him. And as long as he has enough of a say in terms of the personnel and assembling a staff, and it's a situation where he has a quarterback as the foundation piece, I could see him leaving. And I do think that for him, he, he, he has that urge again. He wants to be a head coach. He wants to scratch that itch. I think there's going to be enough quality opportunities there for him to leave. I don't see Matt Patricia leaving. I, I see him back here next year. Okay. But I really, truly think Josh McDaniels is gone after you don't think? He, I mean, you don't think he's gun-shy after the way it went the first time he tried to leave? I don't. I think he's been here long enough now between coaching one year in St. Louis with the Rams and then coming here. I think he's been here long enough. I think that that sense of urgency is there now that he's 40. He wants another shot. I think he sees that that the opportunities are going to be there. And provided they make a long playoff run, and that could be the only thing that could potentially prevent him from leaving, I don't see him sticking around here next year because I think he realizes Belichick's in it for the long haul. Belichick's going to go until either he can't physically or he's told he can't be around (laughs) Or he's dead. (laughs) So, realistically speaking, if you're Josh McDaniels, unless you have a one-on-one with Belichick or unless they've already had this sit-down and Belichick has said, here's my timetable, here's what I'm thinking, unless he knows, hey, in three years this could be my job, why not ride it out with Tom Brady and then take it? I think he's gone, and I don't think Belichick has given him those assurances because I think Belichick is so much of a gym rat, he's going to coach as long as he can, yeah. as long as he physically yeah. can. So, yeah, I see McDaniels leaving at the end of the season, potentially. And, and you, you mentioned a quarterback being the centerpiece. I think, and, and then you also cited his connections with the Rams from being there for a little. That makes so much sense for him and for them. Just put him with Goff and help let him help develop Goff and, and build around him. Makes a ton of sense to me. It does, but I think the job that's going to appeal to him even more than the Rams is Jacksonville. Ooh, yeah, yeah, good, open good up. call. Right, Jacksonville's going to open up, and I think he sees Blake Bortles as the guy that he could potentially fix. He likes the skill pieces there with Allen Robinson and Allen Hearns and Julius Thomas and the running back. He likes the fact that Chad Conn is an owner who's willing to spend money, put a ton of money into that defense. He figures, you know what, I go there, I fix Blake Bortles, I hire a quality defensive coordinator, and we can get this thing going. So I think that's the job, mm. either Jacksonville or San Diego potential. I think those Oof. two jobs will appeal to him more than the Rams will. Well, interesting. We'll see. We will see. John, always a pleasure, my friend. Enjoy the game this weekend. We'll talk to you down the line, all right? All righty. Sounds good, Jimmy. Thanks. All right. John Serenani is joining us here from xnojo.com, fansided.com, and many other outlets. And, of course, he is the head 
He is, I believe, the head coach or, or an assistant coach on the Division One A champions, mm. King Philip. I like that. Super Bowl champions this year. Congratulations again to John and his team. Uh, we've got more. We've got more coming here. Here we go. Uh, this is we've got a jam-packed show, my friend, as we always do. Riding it, riding it into the uh, into the ice, basically. That's right. Riding the zamboni all the way. And we are going to switch gears back to hockey right now. Bill Guerin, the assistant general manager, two-time Stanley Cup champion, and former Boston Bruin, joins me in the next segment here in a stretch run. So stay with us. We'll be back. Listening to the Stretch Run with Jimmy Murphy. Stay tuned for the right time with Bomani Jones. Only here on ESPN New Hampshire Radio. The Apple Therapy Student Athlete of the Month is brought to you by Apple Therapy. Visit AppleTherapy.com. This is Laura Remillard with ESPN New Hampshire Student Athlete of the Month of November with Gabrielle Masseur from Nashua North. How are you? Thank you so much. You broke Nashua North's high school lacrosse goal record as a junior. So that was obviously a really special game. We were playing against Merrimack. Definitely a really great game and it was really exciting, but I couldn't have done it without my teammates helping me out and getting the ball and feeding it to me and their support and my coaches' support. What's your favorite thing about playing lacrosse? So I love getting the ball and transitioning it from whether it be defense to offense, getting it from the draw and just like sprinting down as fast as I can and getting it to my team. I really like the teamwork and effort. On here I'm seeing some volunteer work at the Nashua Soup Kitchen. Yep, I'm involved a lot in like with my school and like sports in my community. Nashua Soup Kitchen's one. I'm also vice president of National Honor Society. I'm a leader in Titan Connections. I'm a leader in Team Titan. I'm actually the secretary of the class of 2017. And where are you looking at going to school, Gabby? I'm actually committed to play um, lacrosse at UNH. What is your inspiration to go above and beyond? My parents have always been there to support me and to believe in me, and I think that has really helped me become like the athlete I am and always reach for the stars and to go with all my heart, push to be the athlete and the person I am. So they definitely inspired me so much. That was Gabrielle Masseur from Nashua North, Apple Therapy Student Athlete of the Month. Nominate your son or daughter. Sign up now at ESPNNHradio.com. With six New Hampshire locations, Apple Therapy's comprehensive orthopedic rehabilitation clinics offer convenient access to a wide variety of services. Apple Therapy uses the latest technology and treatment techniques such as trigger point dry needling, active release techniques, running gate video analysis, and Graston technique. Plus, they are networked to most providers in all insurance companies. Apple Therapy is located at Amherst, Bedford, Manchester, Nashua, Londonderry, and Executive Health Club. For more information and access to their video library, visit AppleTherapy.com. 
The Patriots are heading to the Mile High City for a big showdown with the Denver Broncos on Sunday at 425 p.m. This is ESPN New Hampshire's Pete Terrier, inviting you to join me and Coors Light for an afternoon of fun, prizes, and football at Billy's Sports Bar in Manchester. Billy's is the original sports bar in town with great food, tons of TVs, and ice-cold Coors Light for only two bucks during the game. Watch the Pats take on the Broncos with ESPN New Hampshire and Coors Light at Billy's Sports Bar next to Elliott Hospital in Manchester. Looking for a stylish place to call home? Then you need to check out the brand new apartment homes in Lowell at 24 Merrimack Street. The apartments at 24 Merrimack Street are located in historic downtown Lowell and offer unique apartment living within an historic 19th century building. Residents enjoy brand new interiors and unparalleled lifestyle amenities. Just moments from downtown Lowell's boutique shops, cafes, and entertainment. For more information, please visit 24MerrimackStreet.com. Again, that's 24MerrimackStreet.com. Hi, my name is Jen Kaludi. My husband Sal and I are the owners of Embroid Me in Nashua and Embroid Me of Bedford in New Hampshire. We help companies and organizations promote themselves through embroidered apparel, screen printed shirts, promotional products, personalized gifts, and much more. I invite you to come visit our showrooms, conveniently located at 345 Amherst Street in Nashua and our Bedford showroom at 410 South River Road. You can also visit our websites at embroidme-nashua.com or embroidme-bedford.com. My team and I look forward to helping you promote your business. Embroid Me, your promotional marketing partner. Hey, it's Dan Patrick here. This time, no talk about trucks splashing through the mud or exceptional low-end torque or, you know, those great soundtracks that stir the soul. No, not in this 60-second word to the wise about the Ram Heavy Duty, a truck that's as essential as a hammer, nails, and tape measure are to a carpenter. This is a machine that doesn't need any extra oomph to get your heart pounding. I'm not about to prattle on about capability and durability and nobility, uh, probability or any ability. Nothing like that. Well, I'm not even going to go with it's tough as winter nail or sturdy as a mountain or any other cheap jack low rent hokum because this isn't that kind of thing. No, it's not. This is a truck that simply lets its engine do the talking. And I'm here to talk about one piece of information, and I think you'll appreciate this and understand it. The Ram Heavy Duty can carry more weight than any other heavy duty truck, period. That's it. That's the only message. Except for guts, glory, Ram. Grant's Deep Game Day, Saturday mornings from 7 to 9, only on ESPN New Hampshire. Who's going to win Rookie of the Year, Dak Prescott or Ezekiel Elliott? I would say, say Ezekiel Elliott because I think he's in the MVP conversation right now. And I don't think Dak Prescott is in the MVP conversation. They're playing well. They're fun to watch. They've been fun to watch this season after game one. They have no sense. And that's, that's, they've looked impressive. That's a credit to, to them and their drafting. And the reason they look this good is because they drafted all, that offensive line a few years yeah, ago. Yeah, that's where I was going to go. The offensive line is amazing. Got to be the best of football. It's definitely, it's not one of the top two. Sure. Grant's Deep Game Day, Saturday mornings from 7 to 9, only on ESPN New Hampshire. Looking to save cash? Check out ESPN NH deals at ESPNNHradio.com. start this season. Is there something specifically he's doing differently or better? Net front details, and he's scoring a lot of goals in tight, and uh, you talk to the Pittsburgh Penguins coaching staff, and they will tell you that that's the key to his success this season. His body position is strong, deflecting pucks. The strength in that key battle area, he's incredibly committed. So we know that Sidney Crosby does so many things right, but in terms of the number of goals that he scored this year, the coaches of the Pittsburgh Penguins look to the net front details as a big part of that. 
Welcome back to the Stretch Run here on ESPN New Hampshire. I'm your host, Jimmy Murphy, Justin Sullivan, working the boards. And no, we're not teeing you up for a, uh, a Boston College game right now, but we are getting ready for the Penguins and Bruins. You can hear it live on ESPN New Hampshire here at 7.30. Of course, we will have a pregame before that from 6 to 7.30. Well, 6 to 7 here on ESPN New Hampshire, and then we'll pick up the other feed at 7 o'clock. Uh, but our next guest did spend two years at the Heights. He's a Wilbraham, Massachusetts native, strong New England ties, and he is now the assistant general manager of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Mr. Garen, how are you today? I'm doing well, Murph. Uh, that song brings back a lot of memories. I bet. A lot of good memories. And uh, when the Dropkick Murphys came out with it, I believe I was playing for the Bruins, so yeah, it was uh, kind of a double whammy. I love it. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, I remember that is right around when I came out with it because you were here, uh, what, from like 2000 to uh, 2003? Is that right? Or 2004? I think, yeah, right around there. Yep, yep. And so, yeah, that's when they came out with that album and they they open their show with it a lot uh, still to this day. Uh, Another interesting tidbit I I had known and I forgot and then I rediscovered again today doing a little research for the interview and and we got a little little song for you going out. We'll play after the segment, but... uh, you are the first NHL player with Hispanic descent, and you come from Nicaraguan and Irish background. I, I did not know that, my friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, my my father was from uh, Worcester. Uh-huh. He, uh, he grew up about, I don't know, four blocks or whatever from Holy Cross. Um, I grew up, I was born there. I grew up going to Holy Cross games because we'd always go back. So, um, you know, just a... He grew up, uh, uh, you know, son of a son of a policeman. There, my grandfather was on the force for like forty years. Oh, awesome! And um, you know, he was from Ireland, and but my mother's from uh, Managua, Nicaragua. Wow! And uh, don't ask me how they met. It's a long story. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, we don't but, have enough time. Uh, you know, you know, it was uh, it was it was unique growing up with the two different cultures, but always a lot of fun and. I made about four or five trips down to Nicaragua when I was a kid. And, really? Uh, always had a great time. Oh, yeah, it was a blast. Cool, cool. Now, uh, I got to ask you, how does uh, does Guinness taste good with Nicaraguan food? Absolutely. Awesome. Guinness Absolutely. tastes good with anything, it's, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, you, you know me. I mean, Guinness, uh, you, you can put anything in front of me. You know, pair, pair it with a Guinness and I'm good. I hear you, my friend. That's awesome. That's cool. That's cool history there. Uh, so listen, uh, we played a, a, a clip there, Darren Drager talking about uh, Sidney Crosby and his net front presence uh, being stronger this year, and that's something we also discussed with Billy Jaffe earlier in the show, and and I've noticed it as well, and we've seen some of these highlight reel tippins he's had uh, this season. But besides that, what have you attributed to uh, the strong start he had after missing the first two weeks uh, with a concussion? Well, I, I mean, I, I think he's really fed off um, last year's championship and then coming around quickly and winning the World Cup. Um, I, Sid's game has is, is matured incredibly. Um, he, he, he almost makes it look easy because he's, you know, he's not, he's scoring goals in, in different ways now. You know, before you'd see him, you know, uh, 
splitting the D and diving for pucks or sliding on one knee. Now he's all around the net. He's batting pucks out of the air, but he's paying the price to, for, uh, for his goals. But he's always on the right side of the puck. I think he's become one of the elite defensive players in our league now. And, um, you know, it's been a, a conscious effort on his part to, to do that. And, um, you know, that and, and he's one of the, He's one of the best-conditioned guys you're ever going to see. Um, mm-hmm. His dedication to his strength and conditioning and his, his, his habits and his way of life are, are all, all uh, you know, conducive to, to having a, a, great, a great year. You know, for, for kid, uh, well, kids, I still call him a kid, but uh, for guys like Sid uh, and maybe Ovechkin, when they see this new wave uh, of these young stars coming in, the Eichels, the McDavid's, uh, what have you, and they're getting all the spotlight there, and they're, that's all the talk and all the hype. Do you think that motivates them to be like, hey, by the way, I'm still here too, and I'm not that old yet? Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, because great players, they're always the most competitive, uh-huh. and they they want to be the best. And you know what? I, I think uh, to some extent every player in the league is like that because you always – you always hear about the new draft pick coming in. You always hear about the, the new guy coming in on your team. And if you're not nervous or scared or you're not competitive in that situation, you start to fade. So I think it's no different with the, with the big stars. Yeah, they, you know what? It's not, it's not necessarily just for the limelight. It's, it's to prove that, hey, I'm still, I'm, like you said, I'm still here. Yeah. Don't forget about me. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I, 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 I can just see it in the way he's playing, and that's part of it, and I love that. Hey, listen, uh, one of the keys to your success last year, at least in my opinion, uh, Billy, was you know when you guys had Mike Sullivan come in and take over as coach, some of the players uh, that had played under him in Wilkes-Barre, Scranton, uh, like a Connor Sherry or a Brian Russ, those guys were filtered in, or Kunak, all those guys were filtered into the lineup, and as, as they started to get comfortable there, you could see them progress, and they played pivotal roles in the playoff run. Um, just talk about the, you know, the synchronicity between your AHL club and Pittsburgh, and also the factor of having Sully take over at the NHL level. Well, I definitely think there is a comfort level for those players, but you know what you have to remember too is that um, Connor Sheary, Tommy Kunako, Brian Rust, um, Scott Wilson, those guys all came up and made huge impacts for us. But they also they also went up and down. Um, when Sully took the job, it wasn't like it wasn't like okay, guys, here's your spot, just play for your your old coach. They came up, they had some success. They dropped off. We sent them down. We had to, we had to make sure we were doing the right thing at the right time for for the individual, mm-hmm. and just to make sure that he was getting getting what he was supposed to be getting at that time. So it was still a work in progress. I think the fact that they were comfortable with Sully already definitely helped. And then uh, you know they when they got their opportunity, um, you know they took the ball and ran with it and made a huge impact on our team. Uh, you know down the stretch. Uh, Connor Sherry, who I have a soft spot for because he's a UMass guy and I went there myself. Um, I'm sure you saw a lot of him playing there uh, before he became part of the organization. But for the listeners that don't know, he was a uh, undrafted uh, free agent signing by your team. Um, just talk about 
how hard he's worked to get where he is in this short period of time and, and maybe what you saw in him when he was playing at UMass that made you think, you know what, this kid, he could do something with us and he might have a, pl- a spot in our organization. Well, if I took credit for that, I think uh, our, our New England scout at the time, Al Santilli, oh, I know Al. through the radio and <laughs> choked me. Um, I, I'll be honest with you, I did not see Connor play. Um, Al, it was he was Al's find. Uh-huh. Um, Al was adamant about us uh, signing him. You know, him and Tommy Fitz both saw him. Um, we signed him to an American League contract, and he made an immediate impact in Wilkesbury. He came in. Um, his work ethic was incredible. He ended up leading our team in scoring in the playoffs, and he hasn't looked back. He he's an undersized player. Um, but his, his compete level is through the roof. And, um, you know, like I said, he, he just hasn't looked back. And now, you know, he, he's playing on Sidney Crosby's left wing. So from Amherst to, uh, you know, to Sidney Crosby's left wing is, is a pretty good, uh, pretty good route to take. Hey, we're seeing more and more of, the, you know, these college free agents getting a, getting a shot there. And some of them, you know, creating uh, battles between teams on who's going to sign them. Uh, what's been your take on sort of that development over the last, you know, five to seven years in terms of the influx of NCAA players getting more of a chance? Well, I mean, you, you need these players in the salary cap world because uh, they, they tend to be cheaper, um, you know, and, and they're – during their draft years, maybe they just weren't, uh, you know, they, they weren't ready. And it took them a couple extra years. Maybe it took them four years of college um, to, to develop. Uh, a lot of these guys need strength and conditioning. Um, some of them go through a, a growth spurt late or, or it just kind of clicks in later. Um, and it, the time gives them uh, the ability to, to work on things like their skating, their conditioning, their strengthening. And their and their experience. So, uh, you know, we're we're on the we're on the lookout every single day, every single year, um, for for the diamond in the rough. And and you know what, these guys have great great opportunities ahead of them. And uh, you know, they work hard for it. They earn it. Hey, final question for you here, uh, Billy uh, Mark Andre Fleury. Uh, he struggled a bit this year, and you know he keeps finding his name up in trade rumors and what have you. But he's always handled that with class, and and really never. Uh, I don't I don't see it publicly. I never see him sulk. And then I saw a story uh, with a lot of quotes from a lot of his backups over the years, and all they did was rave about this guy and what a personality he is, and just a fun, you know. I'm going to come to the rink and have fun every day and, and keeps his head up all the time. What's been your take on him and how he's handled these early season struggles this year? Well, you, you can always, you know, you always judge a person on how they are when times are tough. And Mark andre Fleury's got the highest character uh, you could ever imagine. And he's just, he's just such a wonderful guy. Um, you know, I was lucky enough to play a year and a half with him and he's just, He's just great to be around every single day, and when things are good and when things are bad, he's the same. He uh, He's never going to be the guy that brings the room down or anything like that, um, and he still has a lot of value. I mean, he's still a great goaltender. He's a two-time Stanley Cup champion. Um, 
he is he's a competitor and uh when you when you when you look back in net you want a guy with character and and he sure has it he's he's handled everything at at, at such a high level it's it's incredible and that's that's so key isn't it in terms of uh keeping uh, the atmosphere in the dressing room light and keep it, keeping it happy and positive. I mean, you're seeing it right now in, in New York. Uh, I don't think it's going to continue. I don't know. Who knows what will happen with Ranter and Lundqvist. But Lundqvist comes right out, says, hey, it's about the team right now. This kid's on a roll. We're going to ride him. And, you know, Flurry did the same with Murray last year. And that, if they don't, if those goalies in that situation don't do that, Billy, it could go south in a hurry, right? Oh, like overnight. Yeah. And the, for for guys like Mark Andre Fleury and Henrik Lundqvist to come out and say that, what it what it does for the team and what it does for the the other goalie is incredible because you know you you know that this guy is not he's not a selfish guy he's not putting himself in front of the team he's saying all the right things and more importantly he's doing all the right things and it's a long year. And if you if you just if you lose your mind right away, um, you're not going to be ready to go when the, when when the time comes. But um, you know, like I said, uh, Mark Andre Fleury's character and his just just the way he handles himself. He, he's an amazing guy. He really is. He really is. Well, here's your uh, your Nicaraguan song for you, Billy. As we go out here, I hope you enjoy it. And, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna <laughs> we'll, love it. We'll send that out to uh, Mama Garen. All right. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Thank you. All right, Billy. Thank you for joining us here in a stretch run. We appreciate it. That is the assistant general manager of the Pittsburgh Penguins who the Boston Bruins take on tonight. You can hear it live here on ESPN New Hampshire at 730. But stay with us here for more stretch run and, of course, the Bruins pregame show right after. We will be back here on the stretch run. So stay with us. Losing our signal? You can always hear us on the TuneIn app. We are 1250 ESPN New Hampshire. I'm addicted to holding pain and passion deep inside. I'm afflicted by the feelings in me that will not be denied. Out in the crowded street to the strangers that I meet. The Irish in me will not be denied It's hard for me to hide My Celtic pride Pain and passion
Justin Sullivan just said to me off the air, you can always count on a good Irish tune in your show, Murph, every day. You'll fit it in there. And, well, of course, I fit the Mahone Celtic pride into our Celtic segment. And on to talk about the Celtics here in the stretch run on ESPN New Hampshire is a voice you hear often on ESPN New Hampshire in the Celtics pregame show, and that is Patrick Gilroy. Pat, how you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm doing better than the Celtics. Jimmy, and I, I guess that's really all that matters right now. It's been, it's been a bit of a tough stretch uh, for, for our Celtics in, in recent days here. Well, before we get into the, that and also the game tonight in San Antonio, which promises to be another gigantic challenge for this uh, struggling Celtics team. Poop fest. Uh, yeah, a poop fest. There you go. Uh, there, was, there was an article in Boston.com today. I'm not sure if you saw it. Uh, a column, more, more to say, uh, uh, by Rich Levine. And um, he suggested that the Celtics should seriously consider trading Isaiah Thomas. And obviously, he obviously cited the, the whole free agency situation coming up in 2018, but uh, he just made some other good points there. You could get a boatload for him. You're not where you thought you were going to be right now. And I don't know. Your thoughts on that? It's a snap judgment, and it's and it's cookbait. And I'm surprised because Rich is is generally a pretty even keel guy. But this is this is the NBA, and so goes your week. So goes the stories that are written about you. It's been a tough week for the Celtics. Um, and, and look, what are they one and one and two, one and three without Isaiah? Um, there have been some positives without Isaiah Thomas on the floor. Marcus Smart has looked good. Terry Rozier has looked good. You can sort of see this team if they had to live without Isaiah permanently. Um, they would probably stay afloat. And I think that that's also motivating. Uh, it's not only Rich that's writing things like that. It, it, it's been a topic. Oh, it's been a topic on our show for months, mainly because of the contract situation. Eventually, he's going to need to get paid. Mm-hmm. But to me, it's still so much of a snap judgment, a snap reaction. I don't think it is fair to say that this team hasn't met expectations yet because what they've had to go through in the first six weeks of the season it is unprecedented, and it's unfortunate. You bring in an all-star to play alongside Isaiah Thomas and Al Horford, and it's unfortunate that Al Horford's missed 12 games, 11 with a concussion, one with the birth of his child. It's unfortunate that Kelly Olenek, Jay Crowder, Isaiah Thomas, Marcus Smart have all missed significant time. But if you take Marcus Smart, you take Isaiah Thomas, Al Horford, Jay Crowder, Kelly Olenek, these guys, it's virtually their starting five, and they've all missed significant time. So this is far from a well-oiled machine. This is still a team that was only able to squeak out two playoff wins last year. And the expectations that were set forth for them in the offseason were based on this team being relatively healthy, at least to start the season, and begin to play with some sort of cohesion together. And until they've had that opportunity, we talked about this last time, I was on with Jimmy, until they've had that opportunity, to go a 30-day stretch where the major pieces, the major players are all contributing and playing cohesive basketball with one another, it's incredibly difficult to judge this team. Uh, and they're, they're fifth place right now. They're two games over 500. Yes, on paper it's disappointing, but I'm surprised. Nobody watches more Celtics basketball than Rich Levine. I'm, I'm shocked that he actually came out with, well, with this is his take at this point in the, in the season. Being- Plenty of time here. You get Isaiah back. Looks like Crowder's rounding back into shape. Al Horford looked great. Uh, even guys like Kelly Olynyk and Marcus Smart are starting to make contributions. Now you get IT back. 
It's going to take a couple of weeks to get everybody playing well together, but I wouldn't be surprised if come January this team reels off a 12 out of 15 stretch and the early season struggles are are put behind this team once they get healthy. Well, you know, being a a longtime sports reporter myself and having to deal with some editors over the years, I I would think it wasn't all rich there. I would think there was some, uh, some influence from above. We need clicks. Write something that's going to get a lot of clicks. And, and sometimes, unfortunately, that's the way sports journalism or any journalism is going right now. Um, so I'm not going to lay it all on Rich there, but I'm with you too. I'm surprised to see it from him. But, you know, I agree with everything you say there. Uh, the one thing I worry about, though, and it, we've, it, it's like a broken record here. Uh, every time I talk to you or Jeff Hickman, um, is at what point, do some of these players stop believing all the preseason hype and now look and say, hey, you know what? We're in December now. We got to forget what everyone thought of us before then. Now we got, we need to just figure out who we are ourselves and we need to, we need to make it happen. And you, you've seen them hang in games with the, the NBA's elite teams and then just fall apart at the end there and not be able to close it out. So the fact is they know they can hang with these guys, uh, but they just haven't been able to close it out. How do they take that next step, and can they do that against a team like San Antonio tonight? Well, San Antonio presents you know a tremendous challenge. You look at San Antonio's record. Um, at, what are they? Thirteen and fifteen and five. I mean, they're in second place in the Western Conference. However, there is one there is one bit of uh, a silver lining here. San Antonio's thirteen and one on the road. They're six and four at home. They're vulnerable at home this year for whatever reason. Very, it's very much unlike the San Antonio Spurs, who are usually a home dominant team. So there are the same questions that are floating through the minds of the Boston Celtics. Bigger picture, uh, grand scheme of things, there's similar concerns going through the minds of the San Antonio Spurs. Instead of uh, San Antonio being this, this incredible home court advantage, this year it's been a bit of a liability. Um, and again, the Celtics are, are a bit desperate here. They don't want to go one and three on this stretch without Isaiah. It looks like Isaiah is going to come back on Friday is the word we're getting today. So this is a great way to sort of wrap up the road trip, salvage the road trip, uh, go two and two, come back home, and, and sort of start to right the ship. And look, going back to your former point there, I don't think that these guys are questioning their ability quite a bit. Is it's a, you know These guys can overcome the loss of a Isaiah Thomas for a game or two or an Al Horford for a game or two, Jay Crowder for a game or two. But, I mean, I think Celtics fans and the Celtics themselves learned last year firsthand. Jay Crowder may not be the best player on this team, but he's arguably the most important or one of the most important players. And when he went down with an ankle injury last season, the Celtics were projected out to be a 52-53 win team. They finished with 48 wins because they, they sputtered as they you sort of entered the home stretch of the season. And even when Crowder came back, they struggled because he wasn't close to 100%. This team does not have a Harden on their team. They don't have a Steph Curry. They don't have one of these elite, talented guys that can single-handedly take over a game and win games for you. They just don't have that guy. So because of that, and the way that they overcame that last year and the way that I think they'll overcome that this year is eventually the sum of their parts will step up and be a damn good basketball team. But for that to happen, Jimmy, they need to be on the floor together, playing well, playing cohesive, and most importantly, being healthy. And again, it's, it's hard to be that team that, that we all thought they could be, that they still think they could be. When you're judging them, essentially, they deserve an incomplete right now rather than a failing grade. 
All right. Well, uh, you know what? I like the optimism, Pat. I like, I like the turnaround. You, you sounded pretty positive today, buddy. I'm trying here, man. I'm trying. You know, look, there, there are some signs of, of, of things to come getting better here. All right. It's good to see guys like Terry Rozier and Marcus Smart step up and play well. The Celtics should have won a couple of these games without Isaiah Thomas, unfortunately. You know, he is their closer. He's the guy they go to with two minutes to go in a tight game. And without that guy on the floor, I'm sorry, Al Horford is a nice player, all-star player, but he's not somebody that's going to create for himself and force the issue offensively. We saw him try to do it a couple of nights back. It's just it's not his game. The Celtics desperately need Isaiah Thomas back. And once he gets back, we're seeing enough signs from the other guys that were hurt to start the season. Looks like their bodies are getting right. They're getting healthy. They're contributing night in and night out. You throw Isaiah Thomas into that pick, a couple of home games, and suddenly Rich Levine and everybody else sort of changes their tune on the outlook of this season for the Celtics. All right, my friend. Well, we will uh, we will see what happens tonight. Deep in the heart of Texas as the Celtics take on the San Antonio Spurs. Patrick, always a pleasure, my friend. We will talk to you soon. You need to bring me in with more Irish music every time, Jim. You like that? Oh, no problem, buddy. Yeah. Those are my buddies from Montreal, the Mahones. So next, we'll uh, they, talk to you guys soon. We'll get you to one of their concerts. Have a good one, buddy. That is Patrick Kilroy joining us here on the Stretch Run on ESPN New Hampshire. Two hours down, one to go. I'm going to continue to get you ready uh, for the Bruins-Penguins tilt down in Pittsburgh. 7.30 live here on ESPN New Hampshire. But until then, we got one more hour of the Stretch Run. And then an hour of the ESPN New Hampshire Bruins pregame. So stay with us. In the next segment, we welcome on Farrell Miller of Live Barn. We'll be back. The chicken hawks are full of squawks. Deep in the 